0: I wanted to read from part four of the catechism on prayer. Especially the part on contemplation. Some beautiful numbers. And so I've done this quite a bit in the last couple of years. Just, we'll take one number at a time. So this is number 2709, 2709, from the Catechism. What is contemplative prayer? Saint Teresa answers, contemplative prayer, oracion mental, so this is Saint Teresa of Adela, who spoke Spanish, in my opinion, is nothing else than a close sharing between friends. It means taking time frequently to be alone with him who we know loves us. It's from the book of her life, the collective works of St. Teresa of Avila. It goes on here, this number. Contemplative prayer seeks him whom my soul loves from Song of Songs, it is Jesus, and in Him the Father. We seek Him because to desire Him is always the beginning of love, and we seek Him in that pure faith, which causes us to be born of Him and to live in Him. In this inner prayer, we can still meditate, but our attention is fixed on the Lord Himself. So not that we're, what's the difference? Meditation definitely involves a lot of our own reasoning, if you will. So we're using a lot of our our own efforts to, to, to reflect, to meditate, to ponder. And then contemplation, there's a natural contemplation. If you think about that for a second, imagine... I I just son, I know you're gonna think, boy Father Jason, you lived quite a life. I was in kind of in January. And I was just I was just in Mexico a couple like ten days ago. So we have these inner well, I don't want to record this, but anyway. I was in Mexico, I'll tell you the story later. So Private Beach, it was beautiful. So we had these beautiful sunsets. So you've all, you know, I'm sure seen these beautiful sunset or sunrise or even just, again, you know, someone you love, especially a, a newborn child, probably not a teenager, but, <laughs> <laughs> right, the baby, grandchild, especially, who is Mary Frances, who's telling me the best reason to be a mom is be a grandma, right? <laughs> so anyway, so in nature, we contemplate things, right? You can, can contemplate that sunrise sunset the mountains the lake a beautiful child right so what happens when you're contemplating something like that well your senses especially your exterior senses are being captivated so we've talked about our interior senses but in nature when we contemplate something, you, you can contemplate a painting too, right? You can contemplate a painting. <laughs> and, and so you're, you're, as you contemplate that, you're allowing your senses, your exterior senses, to be captivated by that object of your senses. Simple enough, right? So you're really not thinking about it much but it's more of a passive thing, right? Because you're allowing yourself, remember that first, the second verse of the first chapter? Let him, let him, give God permission. So in contemplation, in contemplative prayer, you're implicitly, if not explicitly, but you're giving God permission to captivate you. So you're giving him permission to impress himself upon your interior senses, just as a beautiful painting or a beautiful landscape, natural landscape, would impress itself upon your exterior senses and captivate you. Wow, look at that. That's the gift of awe and wonder fear of the Lord, but not being scared of God, but rather this awe and this wonder. That's the gift of the Spirit. This awe and wonder. Look at that. Wow. Sometimes it can happen when you're in adoration. So that's more of an interior interior gift of the Spirit where all of a sudden, you know, God starts to communicate something to you heart to heart, spirit to spirit. Because you're there, again, you're implicitly giving God permission to impress himself upon your interior senses, your interior faculties. And before you know it, you're contemplating him. (laughs) You're wrapped up in in contemplative prayer. And it can happen with, with your imagination. It can happen even when you're watching the Chosen. I don't know about you, but I move to tears sometimes. So I'm I'm there, I'm watching the chosen, and I'm allowing it to impress itself upon my mind and my heart. And all of a sudden it captivates me, it captures my attention, and it pierces my heart, and I cry. That's contemplative prayer. (laughs) That's contemplative prayer. So if you've ever cried watching the Chosen or the Passion or, or any you know, good movie or even sometimes a song can move you to tears. That's contemplative prayer. You know maybe not in a classic sense, but if you allow a song or a movie or a TV show to move you to tears. In any kind of spirit of prayer, well, that's a kind of contemplation. So notice, it's more of a passive thing. That's the big difference between meditation and contemplation. Meditation is more active, and yeah, we all need to do that. You yeah. know, there are all things. You know, even what I'm saying right now needs to be. You know, needs to be you got to meditate on it you got to think about it you got to process it it's necessary vocal prayer it's necessary you can read about those forms of prayer right before contemplative prayer Right. it's not that any form of prayer is better than the other they're all necessary I like to think of vocal prayer like the little prayer we prayed at the beginning here together it's like the appetizer It what's the appetite? It kind of gets the mind and the heart engaged, even mass, I mean, mass is a whole category onto its own, but it's a kind of vocal prayer. There's the responses, the readings, the Eucharistic prayer that, that are prayed out loud, so those are all vocal prayers that are meant to prepare us for the moment of Holy Communion, which, again, is kind of a whole category all by itself. Like so just, you know, sometimes we hear these things and sometimes you might think, oh, I'm not very contemplative. Well, you're probably a lot more contemplative than you think. And it's it's something that I think it, uh, perhaps a little counterintuitive. Because you might sometimes just sit there and you know, like, feel anything, you know, I don't see anything, I don't hear anything, but you can lead up to it with the meditation, with the imagination, and then next, you know, before you know it, the spirit takes over and starts to impress itself, the Holy Spirit does his job, right, And he starts to impress himself upon you. And now you're being moved. You're being transformed. And that's the work of God. That's how we are transfigured. Right last Sunday, we read the gospel of the transfiguration. Well, that's happening to all of us, little by little, this side of heaven. It's happening to all of us and it's primarily a work of grace, it's a work of God. I know traditionally if you've been in writing Christie a while, you know, sometimes you were encouraged to identify what's my root sin and what's gonna be my primary virtue that I'm gonna work on, and I'm gonna conquer humility this year if it kills me. (laughs) Right? Probably killed you, right? (laughs) So, not that those are bad things, but sometimes we can approach it in a rather voluntaristic kind of way. Where we're focusing more on our efforts. That's what voluntaristic means. The word voluntary comes from the Latin word, which means will. Voluntas tua sicu in cello et right? terra. Your will is voluntas in Latin. So the voluntaristic kind of prayer is where it's more of a self-based effort. And so we have to make some effort. We have to show up. We have to ask. We have to seek. We have to knock. We have to dispose ourselves. We have to give God permission. So yes, it requires a lot of personal effort for sure. But the transformation piece, the transfiguration part, doesn't depend on you. So I want to be more humble. I want to be more charitable. I want to be more, I want to be bolder, more courageous. That part, again, it, it absolutely requires some human participation, yes. The image of God that we have, the image of ourselves that we have, that's a work of grace. And that transformation, that transfiguration happens little by little. It's a process. All right, let's dive into chapter 2. Somebody was saying in their Bible, you know, it says the Song of Solomon. Yes, because he's the the author of it. So sometimes it gets translated that way, Song of Solomon. So chapter two, verse one, we have the Shulamite. That's us. The bride still speaking. Says, I am truly his rose, the very theme of his song. I'm overshadowed by his love, like a lily growing in a valley. So it's a kind of of declaration. That's an act of faith. That's an act of faith that she's making. I am truly his rose. He just told me something in chapter one. Now I'm coming into agreement with it. She's coming into agreement with what she just heard. She's doing what number 142 of the catechism says she should do. (laughs) Make an act of faith in what was just revealed. So you all should do this as well. When you go, you can do it right now, of course, but... But as you leave here today, too, as you leave this session, we call them declarations and encounter, you know, make these declarations, these affirmations of faith or activations. It's a kind of activation. So you're putting your faith into action. You're making an act of faith in what's been revealed to you in this word of God. Again, it may not feel true You may not believe it with all your heart. But again, fake it till you make it. (laughs) No, don't fake it, but believe it until you make it, right? Like, you'll get there. It'll happen. But that's where the Lord asks us to make the act of faith in what is revealed. And then eventually it will start to feel true more and more. The Holy Spirit will affirm it and confirm it. And you'll see it. You'll, you know, you'll, you'll experience it. You'll taste and see the goodness of the Lord. <coughs> you'll taste and see your own goodness. Healthy self-esteem is really important. And that's something that I think we all struggle with. Loving yourself appropriately is really important. God wants you to love yourself. Obviously not in a vain way, not in some conceited way, but in a genuine way. To appreciate about yourself the things that that God loves about you. I mean, he loves everything about you, actually. I have this little journal that I'm using during Lent and it prompts you and I think today the prompt was what does God love about me? and I just like, everything (laughs) because I've heard him tell me that and I believe that so God loves everything about me is that being proud? no it's the truth humility is truth So, got to make an act of faith. The shepherd king, Jesus, speaks again. Verse 2, yes, you are my darling companion. You stand out from all the rest. For though the thorns surround you, you remain as pure as a lily, more than all others. The Shulamite, my beloved is to me the most fragrant apple tree, He stands above the sons of men, sitting under his grace shadow. I blossom in his shade, enjoying the sweet taste of his pleasant, delicious fruit. Again, the senses resting with resting, resting with delight where his glory never fades. It's good stuff right there Really good stuff (coughs) And there's a beautiful poem